is praying apostolic prayers, but this morning, God helping us, I want to look at this theme, leaving in gloom, but returning in glory. That's a, that's a nice subject, isn't it? Leaving in gloom. And so often in life, we go through circumstances that cause us to end that chapter in gloom, but God wants us to know this is not the end of the story, that there is glory on ahead. And there is no story, I believe, in the Word of God that pictures that better than the story of the two who walked the road to Emmaus. So if you will turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 24. Typically, I only read a couple of verses, but to capture the whole story, we're going to have to read uh, from verses 13 through to the end of the chapter. But this is good because the Apostle Paul says, give attention to the public reading of the Word of God. So we know we are being blessed this morning because we are reading the Word of God. And the scripture says, according to Luke, now behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and as you are sad? Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he it was who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. 
and he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed, and broke it and gave it to him. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Amen. Amen. Chris, would you come and ask the Lord to bless the ministry of his word this morning? Heavenly Father, our wonderful Heavenly Father, we just love you so much. We thank you for all that you have generously given us through your Son, Jesus. And we thank you, Jesus, that you have left, and Holy Spirit, you have come. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would hover over these words today that are spoken in your house, and we bless them to the hearts of the people May they produce life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everybody said amen, amen. I don't know about you, but this story has always captivated my heart. And I especially have loved the painting, which was done by the Swiss artist Robert Zund, who put his brushes to the canvas. How many of you are familiar with that painting? It's called The Road to Emmaus. It was done in 1877, and my high school Sunday school teacher knew that I loved that story, and as a gift, she gave it to me as a graduation gift, knowing I was going to Bible school. And I hung it in my dorm and have treasured it ever since. Well, Luke is the only one of the four gospel writers that relates this wonderful account to us. And we know that in this story, there are three main characters, Cleopas, the disciple, and then his companion, who is unnamed, and of course, then Jesus. These two were traveling seven miles from Jerusalem because they were there, as all good Jews were, for the Passover. And during this time, we know they experienced what was the last thing in the world they ever wanted to experience. That Jesus, their Lord, their master, their rabbi, the one with whom they walked for three years, instead of becoming the king of Israel, he became the crucified king of the Jews on the cross. And can you imagine their sorrow as they returned to Jerusalem, uh, returned to their home in Emmaus? Now, I don't know if any of you are like me, but I've often wondered why was not that other disciple's name mentioned? And this is just by way of aside, but curiosity sometimes gets the best of us, doesn't it? 
And as I was preparing for this message, I was so delighted to come across the conjecture of Dwight L. Moody, who believed that uh, this second disciple who was unnamed and the companion of Cleopas was none other than his wife. Now, doesn't that really make a lot of sense? Because families would travel together to Jerusalem for the Passover. Now that the Passover is over, now that the events of the Passover have ended, and three days even beyond that, it was time for Cleopas and his wife to return to their hometown of Emmaus. Now, who was this wife of Cleopas? Well, John actually tells us who it was in chapter 19 and verse 25 of his gospel. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. So isn't this interesting that Cleopas and his wife are, guess what? The aunt and the uncle of Jesus. Now, take it or leave it, but I just kind of like that kind of logic. More important to us than, obviously, who it was is the story that is related to us in Luke 24. And God helping us this morning, we want to explore this and see what lessons and what message the Holy Spirit has for our hearts. If this story were a symphony, I believe that there were four different movements into which it can be divided. First of all, encountering Jesus. Encountering Jesus in our darkest moments. Secondly, understanding Jesus's plans and purposes in those circumstances. Thirdly, then, recognizing Jesus in the breaking of the bread and fourthly, responding to this encounter with Jesus by going to tell. So let's briefly look at each of these. First of all, encountering Jesus in our darkest moments. Do you know it's been said that the longest walk that anyone takes is the walk away from the grave of someone they love? And no doubt, truer words have never been spoken, and those of us who have had that experience know exactly the deep sorrow and desperate emotion that we feel because when we leave that cemetery, we understand this is the end. All we have left are our memories. Life will never ever be the same again. Life as we once knew it will never be again. And Mary and Cleopas, not only, but all of the disciples had this emotion of desperate sorrow and despair. Their hopes had been completely dashed. Jesus had forewarned them, listen, it's going to happen. I'm going to Jerusalem. And they, with cruel hands, are going to crucify me. Somehow, some way, they just could not assimilate that kind of message. And so when Jesus 
died, their foundation was rocked. Their faith was destroyed. Their hearts were filled with sadness, despair, and hopelessness. They had believed all along, especially since Palm Sunday had just taken place, and it was declared, Hosanna! Hosanna to the King! This is our long-awaited Messiah. He will at last deliver us from Roman tyranny and oppression. But this long-awaited Messiah surrendered to the will of his father and went to the cross instead. And they were absolutely devastated. And so after all of these events, why stay in Jerusalem? It's over. It is over. It's time to go back home to Emmaus. And as they were walking home, of course, their hearts were so despondent because somehow after these events take place, then the reality really begins to dawn. When they're happening, we're overwhelmed with the sorrow, but afterward, the reality begins to dawn. Jesus is no more. Jesus is dead. And especially after these three days, they're walking and talking along, rehashing the events that had taken place, just continuing to fill their hearts with sorrow. And as they were walking and talking, suddenly this stranger appears, catches up with them, listens in on their conversation. And I love what Spurgeon says as he observes this verse of Scripture that when two saints are talking together, Jesus is very likely to come and make the third one in the company. <laughs> uh, what, does, what, what should that encourage us to do? Talk more about Jesus? Because when we talk about Jesus, where two are gathered together in my name, there am I in their midst. Oh God, open our eyes that more and more we might come to that place where we understand that when we're talking about Jesus and we're glorifying Jesus, that he comes and dwells in our midst. And so talk of him, Spurgeon says, and you will soon be talking with him. And so when Jesus approaches and begins to speak to them, is it possible that it's Jesus and Cleopas and his wife don't recognize their nephew? Luke says their eyes were holden, and in the Greek means restrained. Their eyes were held back from seeing that this was Jesus. How is that possible? I mean, did Jesus change his visage? I don't believe that he did. But there's something about when you've experienced why Cleopas and, and Mary, his wife, experienced, as they stood there before the cross and saw Jesus cruelly nailed there, saw his wounded body, saw the spear thrust into his side, saw them taking him down from the cross, deader than dead, and placed in a tomb, they knew beyond the shadow of any doubt, Jesus was dead. And from a natural point of view, when you've seen that reality, even if you see 
another person that may even look like Jesus. Maybe it's his twin brother, but I know it's not Jesus. We saw what they did to him. He's dead. He is laying in his tomb. They're so consumed by their grief, they couldn't see straight. And that's what happens to us in life, Christian friends, that we get so consumed with our problems. We get so consumed by the sorrows and the heartache and the, the, the trials and the tribulations of life, so consumed by what the doctor told us that we so easily lose our focus and we can't see anything else. We certainly can't see Jesus because we're focused on our problem. And I pray today that the Holy Spirit would just prick our hearts and challenge us to get our eyes off of our circumstances as desperate, as painful, as difficult as they may be and look into the eyes of him who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Look into the eyes of him who said, I am the first and the last. Look into the eyes of him who said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And I know that it's not only our personal problems. We're living in difficult times. You don't even want to turn on the news anymore because you listen to it for even a moment and you're consumed with this grief and this pain. I don't know how many patriots we have in this house this morning, but when I see what is happening in America today, my heart is aching with the lawlessness, with the disregard for authority and respect for America and its flag and for what it stands for and the blood that was shed to make it the nation that it is today. The blood that was shed and the purposes by which God allowed this nation to be established on him and on his word. And now we've turned our back and we are spewing our insults against God as we murder babies and sanction everything that is ungodly, unwholesome, impure, unclean. We are telling black, calling it white and saying that white is black. The word of God tells us that that's what it's going to be like in the last days. So we need to get our eyes off of all that would discourage us, all that would tear us down, all that would cause us to feel like, what's the sense of even living anymore? It, can things get any worse in America? Things are so terrible. Things are so bad. All the fear-mongering, all the fake news, all the things that are being put before us, wanting us to believe a narrative that may not even be true. We're not hearing too many amens, but I'm telling you the truth today. This is all the strategy of the enemy to cause us to lose our faith. It's all the strategy of the enemy to discourage us and defeat us. But we belong to an end time army. We belong to the Son of God. And we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. I'm so thankful today that as bad as things are, the last chapter has already been written and we win. 
The last chapter has already been written and Jesus reigns King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The last chapter has already been written and the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ Oh, hallelujah, shall reign forever and ever and ever. And every knee shall bow. Every God-hater in America, every God-blasphemer in America, they will bow their knee to Jesus Christ and declare that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus said... This is what's going to happen in the last days. And when these things begin to take place, look up for your redemption draws nigh. Instead of being downcast, instead of being discouraged, instead of being despondent, instead of walking around, did you hear the latest on the news? Did you hear what they're saying now? Did you hear about this lie? Do you believe that they could actually say things like this when they know it's a blatant lie and you get sick to the pit of your stomach? Where's journalism today? Look up for your redemption draweth nigh well we become so blinded by all that goes wrong in our lives and in our world that we lose the sight of his presence and we're no longer aware of who it is that is walking with us he's walking with us as he did with Cleopas and that companion, but their eyes were held back. I wonder if your eyes are being restrained today by your circumstances. Ask Jesus to open your eyes that you might see the faithful one stands with you and he's holding your hand. And so the stranger asks them, what are you guys talking about? You are so sad and they responded, who are you and where do you come from? Are you a strange? Are you the only one in Jerusalem? It's on the front pages of the newspaper. It's being everybody's talking about. I mean, Jerusalem is a buzz because millions of people are there for the Passover. And everybody knew what happened. This prophet called Jesus was taken and crucified. The criminal Barabbas was released so that the Jewish leaders could have their desire of seeing Jesus crucified. And in verses 19 through 24, they answered Jesus. Well, Jesus, uh, they didn't say Jesus. They said, whoever you are, what we're talking about is concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and the people. Do you hear what they're saying? They had acknowledged he was their Messiah. They had acknowledged he was the anointed son of the living God. And now because of the cross, they're saying, Jesus, that, that prophet, oh, he, he was a great prophet. I, I mean, he did miracles. But like all the other prophets, he died. He's dead. And they report to the stranger on top of all of that, there are some women who told us that this morning they went to the tomb. 
I mean, do you realize this is Easter Sunday morning? <laughs> Jesus rises from the grave and he's busy meeting Mary Magdalene. And now he's busy with two disciples that are walking back home from Emmaus, all despondent and discouraged. Wanting to give them hope. Wanting them to see that he is the resurrected living Christ. And they're so discouraged because they hear this report that the tomb is empty. But, you know, there's always that big but. We have it in our lives. Oh, this, 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 this. And we, we try to be positive. We try to give praise to God. We try to thank God. But. But what? His body we could not find. He's dead. They stole him. I don't know where they took him, but... Now it's even worse than ever. We can't even go to the tomb and venerate him. You see, when things get dark in our life, and when tragedy happens, and our hearts don't sense Christ anymore, it's easy to entertain the thoughts. Maybe, just, just maybe. Is, is Jesus really who he said he is? Is that promise in the word of God really, really for me, saints of God, let, let's be honest. We may not even articulate those words, but those are the whisperings of the enemy that we begin to entertain because God is not on our timetable because God doesn't do things according to how we have designed and engineered. This is how you need to work it out, God. God says, if you're going to be my disciple, you need to let me work it out the way I want to work it out. And so it was with Lazarus, wasn't it? He got the news that his best friend was ready to die. And instead of rushing to Lazarus to heal him, he stays two more days. Two days that had to seem like two eternities to Mary and Martha. Why isn't Jesus coming? Why isn't he coming? Because he had a greater purpose. We're so bound to what we see and what we think and what we feel. Oh, would to God that we would get his mind and his heart and his understanding. His ways are so much higher than our ways. His thoughts than our thoughts. As high as the heaven is, the, is above the earth, so far higher are his ways and his thoughts than our thoughts, but know this, that the word of the Lord will never return void because in his time, in his way, he will work things out for our good and his glory. So our faith falters, our trust wanes, we doubt God. But the ultimate irony in this story is the one they wanted most to see was walking and talking with them at that very moment. And sadly, they could not see what they needed to see. And when our faith falters, we're not able to see what we need to see. And we need to ask the Lord, Lord, open my eyes. Open my heart. Open the eyes of my heart that I would look beyond my circumstances. Because if I look only at my circumstances, if I look only at this world, if I look only to the news, I'm lost. But if I shut out all else but Jesus, 
and then hope is made alive in my heart. And so as Jesus listens to their sad tale of woe, he says to them in loving, tender tones, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and then to enter into glory? And so we come to the second movement in this symphony, if you will. Understanding, understanding God's plan in our lives, even when it goes against all logic, even when it goes against our rationalizations, even when it goes against what we think or what we want and what we feel. You know, I know we have a hard time understanding what was wrong with those disciples Jesus was clear this was the will of God. This is what had to happen. But the reality is we're just as bad as they are. Because when you and I go through our dark night of the soul, when our hopes and our dreams die, the Spirit of God needs to whisper to us as Jesus whispered to Cleopas and Mary, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart, it is only through suffering and death to self that you too will enter into glory. Can, can we lay hold of that today? I know that's a hard truth. You can't say amen and you can't wave your arms and hallelujah, that makes me feel good. No, that makes me sick to the pit of my stomach. But the reality is, if we want to know life, life in Christ is found through first dying. Through identifying with Christ in his sufferings. And when we go through a difficult place, we need to resign ourselves. God, you're allowing this so that you can bring me through it into a place of glory, so that you could bring me through this darkness into a place of light, so that you could bring me through this valley and place me then on a mountaintop. Jesus testified to this, did he not, in John 12 and 24? Except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But when it is buried and dies in the ground, out of that death springs forth new life. And a new life that's fruitful. Because if it doesn't die, Jesus said it remains alone. Just a little grain. Just a little kernel. Just a little seed. Is that what we want in our lives? That we live only for ourselves? And there's not, no fruit, there's, there's nothing. Someday we will stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. And we will give an account for the fruit that we have produced in our lives. The fruit that we have Christ in us and he saved us with divine purpose to do good works, to be fruitful, to multiply, to advance his kingdom. But it only happens in one way. That seed needs to go into the dark ground, be covered over, be buried, become obscure before it could rise up into fruition and abundance. And so Jesus opens their eyes by sharing with them the scriptures 
And we read, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself throughout the scriptures. Oh, I, I wish I could have just been there to hear all that Jesus had to say, expounding, first of all, the five books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and showing through those books who he is, who he was spoken to be ever before he came to this earth as a baby, declaring that he's the seed of the woman whose heel was bruised but who crushed the serpent's head through his death on the cross, that he's the blessing of it. Abraham to all nations, that he's the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, that he's the man who wrestled with Jacob, that he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, that he's the voice from the burning bush, that he is the Passover lamb. He is the prophet greater than Moses. He is the captain of the Lord's army. He is the kinsman redeemer. He is the son of David who is a king greater than David. He is the suffering Savior of Psalm 22. He is the great shepherd of Psalm 23. He is the wisdom of Proverbs, and he is the lover of the Song of Solomon. He's the Savior described in the prophets. He's the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, and he is the princely Messiah of Daniel who would one day establish a kingdom that would never, ever end. And so Jesus shows them through the scripture that though they think he failed them, instead he perfectly and completely fulfilled God's word. And he is indeed the son of the living God. Do we understand today the only way that we're able to get out of our funk to get out of our sorrow, to climb out of that dark, deep valley, is to get our minds aligned with what the Word of God says about Jesus and who He is and all that He means to us and all that He accomplished for us through the atonement. He has obtained for us everything that we need for life and for godliness. Is there anything else that you need? Whatever you need for this is the promise of God. He is not a man that he should lie. Everything that we need for life and for godliness is given to us through Jesus Christ. He's the faithful one who's begun a good work in you who will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And so as he opened the scriptures and completed that time where he just revealed to them through all of these verses, and the, can you imagine the living word expounding the living word of God? Oh, what a glory that had to be. And they reach their destina destination, and Jesus appears as if he is going to continue walking on as they are left at their home. But after experiencing what they've experienced, it's like, oh, no, it's not possible. Jesus, I keep saying Jesus, whoever you are, please don't go. That word constrained wasn't this, this frivolous courtesy that you hear people say sometimes. Oh, don't you want to come in? 
when we're thinking all the time, please say no. But they meant it with all their hearts. Oh, Jesus, we're begging you, please, please come in. Abide with us. Every time I read those words, every time I read those words, I can't help but remember a chapel service. And this is going back, I don't want to say how many decades, because you'll say to me, Pastor, you need to retire. But it was that many decades ago that I sat in that chapel service, and it's like, I remember it like it was yesterday. I could still see, I could still feel the heavy presence of God that pervaded that chapel. It was coming to a close, and they were about to dismiss the chapel when one of our professors, we knew her as Ma Shelton, she stood up and she said, students, we're about to leave this chapel but we need not leave his presence. Can we not say as the two disciples did on the road to Emmaus, come and abide. Come and dwell with us. Come and live with us. Come and fellowship with us. Come and continue to reveal the delights of your love to our hearts. And so Jesus obliged them, and he went in. And as they sat to eat, as no doubt the Easterners have this wonderful gift of hospitality, Mary prepared some kind of meal for this stranger. That some phenomena took place. The guest became the host, and he served those who sat at the table. And we read these words, he took bread, he blessed and he broke it and he gave it to them. Did you know this is the third time that Luke records those same words? We hear those words in the feeding of the 5,000. We read those words when Jesus sat with his disciples in the upper room celebrating the Passover. And now we read it once again here. And so we come to this third movement in this sympathy symphony where they recognize Jesus in the breaking of the bread and their eyes were opened. They had been with Jesus all this time, but they did not recognize him until this moment. And our lives get so busy, do they not? so complicated, so messy, that sometimes even though Jesus tells us and we know his word is true, that he is present with us always, he is Jehovah Shammah. He is Jehovah Shammah. He is there with us all the time. We fail to acknowledge that presence. We fail to acknowledge his deep desire. I want to draw closer to you. I want to more deeply reveal my love to you in a personal way. And yet we miss seeing him because we don't recognize him. Or maybe the enemy is putting some kind of guilt trip on us or some kind of shame that you're not worthy of God. That's one of the biggest lies of the enemy. None of us are worthy of God. But we're worthy because Jesus makes us worthy through his shed blood on the cross of Jesus Christ. 
and he is there for us right in the midst of our suffering and pain. We remain focused on ourselves and we miss him. And yet he desires to bring us into a deeper place. And I want you to know today, Christian friends, no matter what you're going through or what you're feeling, Jesus is here today to join you in your journey. I don't know what that journey is entailing. I don't know what sorrow, what heartache, what trial, what tribulation, but you can have the confidence and the assurance that he is there with you and he wants you to know that he is there with you. And I'm so grateful that we could come to the communion table today and in a very tangible way, we can show what the word of God tells us, that he is in us Christ the hope of glory. And as we receive these elements, we're not going through a meaningless ritual. Okay, this, this, this wafer represents the body of Christ. Put it in your mouth. No, 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 no. By faith, we understand when we receive that wafer, we are receiving the body of Christ. No, not the literal body of Christ, but all that that body meant as it hung on the cross, all that that body purchased. When we drink that cup, we're not drinking the literal blood of Jesus, but we are drinking all the blessings of that blood, that Satan is a defeated foe, that Satan cannot cross that bloodline, that that bloodline covers us, that that bloodline keeps us, that that bloodline protects us, that that bloodline delivers us, that that bloodline heals us, that that bloodline provides for us. Whatever our need is, it is through the power of the blood of Jesus today. And we will know him as that bread is broken and as we partake of that cup today. I want you to do it by faith. And as the disciples sat in that home and they received that bread, they met the risen Lord. They met Jesus who conquered the grave. They met Jesus who came down off of that cross in an emaciated, destroyed body, now healed and perfectly whole because God peeled away the cataracts that blinded them. And God wants to do that for us today. Our eyes are restrained. Our eyes are blinded. But I believe today, as we by faith partake of these communion elements, that God wants to remove the blinders off of our eyes in Jesus name blinders come off receive the full benefits of the atonement today in Jesus name and so when Jesus broke that bread their eyes were immediately opened and their hearts were now already burning from the word that they had heard now truly on fire so much on fire, so much on fire. We know the story tells us as soon as that happened, Jesus, he was gone because now he's in his glorified body. He just vanished out of their sight. But without hesitation, 
without rationalization. The Bible tells us in that same hour, here we come into the final movement in this symphony. We respond to the encounter of Jesus. When you have a real encounter with Jesus, something radical happens. Something transformative takes place. You're not your old carnal self. You're not your old natural self that says, I'm, I'm too tired to read my Bible. I'm too tired to pray. I'm too tired to do this. Or I'm too tired to do that. But think about Cleopas and Mary. They had just walked seven miles. This is just in around the block. How long does it take to walk seven miles? I know I do three miles in a very brisk walk, and it takes me a little under 45 minutes. So to do seven miles, that's a lot of time. And at that time of the day, they're going to do it all over again because they had some wonderful news to share with the disciples. They could not wait to get back to that place where the disciples were gathered and to tell them, listen, I want to, I want to let you know what happened about an encounter that we had with Jesus Christ. When you have an encounter with Jesus, something happens, something changes. It's radical and it's transformative. I, I want to know today, have we had that encounter with Jesus? We can have it today as we open up our hearts. And so they left Jerusalem that morning in gloom, thinking that it was all over, but now they're returning back to Jerusalem in great glory because the adventure is only begun. All that Jesus came to do, the first chapter's just being written. It's going to happen on the day of Pentecost when 120 are gathered in the upper room and the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon them and they are going to bring the gospel into the whole world. I want to close our message this morning with these words from this book that I read a few years ago, but I was reminded of it by Calvin Miller, who wrote uh, Walking with the Saints, and he talks about walking on the road to Emmaus. And he says these words, can you walk these few miles of glory? Try it. Look, even now the sun is beginning to color the eastern sky of your hassled Jerusalem. Would you like to leave the rat race? then get started for Emmaus. That peaceful town just seven miles in the distance, but the town doesn't matter, it's the journey that's important. Why? Because you never know who you're going to meet on that road. <laughs> and we know who we're going to meet on that road. If you're walking on that road in gloom, I want you to know today that Jesus is coming right alongside of you and he wants you to return back from where you came in glory. Those who travel it frequently know the pleasure of heaven's company. So quicken your pace. Pull alongside. Somewhere up ahead, the bread will be broken by nail-scarred hands, and your eyes will be opened. And you will be lost in adoration and wonder as you encounter Jesus with a burning heart. I invite you this morning to come to the communion table and allow Jesus 
to cause his fire to burn in a greater way as we see him and know him in the breaking of the bread. We're just going to stop and uh, engage with this hymn that will just quiet our hearts and reflect on what God has done for us and what he desires to do as we partake of the communion this morning.